Welcome to Let's Jaws for a Minute, the podcast which takes a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic film Jaws, minute by minute or thereabouts. I'm Sarah Buddery. And I'm MJ Smith. And this week we are talking about uh, scene in Jaws, like we always do. Um, (laughs) But uh, we don't have a guest this week, so once again, just us. Is this the last one before Indianapolis month where we don't have a guest? I believe so. I think we've got a guest for every single bit of Indianapolis month. Uh, <laughs> it was a popular choice, so yeah. luckily we broke it up into four or five. This uh, this scene is from one hour, 28 minutes, and 25 seconds through one hour, 29 minutes, and 29 seconds. And this is the tail end of them comparing scars. Um, last week we ended with Brody looking at the scar on his uh, on the right side of his abdomen um, and deciding not to talk about it. And then Hooper says that he has yeah, uh, the worst the worst injury of them all. And he unbuttons his sweater and uh, he says that she broke my heart. He says, is it Mary Ellen Moffat is her name? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Broke his heart. And uh, Quint and Hooper find that hilarious. Uh, Brody also <laughs> finds it funny, but he's not quite as drunk. Um, and then Brody asks Quint what the scar on his arm is. And Quint uh, kind of uncovers it and says it's a tattoo that he got removed. And Hooper makes another joke about it, saying that it said mother. And then Quint... Uh, th- forcefully calms him down and (laughs) says it was a tattoo of the USS Indianapolis and Hooper uh, very much comes out of his his stupor um, as he realizes what that probably means and then Brody asks uh, what what happened on the USS Indianapolis and that's where we end our scene uh, oh what a cliffhanger this week um, (laughs) which is very mean and very good uh all at the same time i think i mean it is absolutely the logical cutoff point Mm -hmm, for mm -hmm. it but it is very much like but i want to see the speech (laughs) (laughs) yep um so sarah what what did you notice about this scene firstly uh, an apology for cutting it off at this point but uh, it is the correct thing to do is so we can really really dive into indianapolis uh and 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 give it our full attention over the next month basically um confession time i did continue the scene and watched the indianapolis speech because it just feels correct <laughs> i felt like i was just not doing jaws properly if i didn't watch it through at least uh at least once did you also cave mj and watch it uh watch it through no actually um although mm. uh as as <laughs> evidenced by the uh botched intro from the first the, the first attempt at an introduction i probably would have if <laughs> i were watching it again because i i legit yeah. was just focusing on oh hey i'm watching jaws right now <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's very very easy uh to get distracted by this scene and i think mm-hmm. as soon as quint starts talking as well and then you're into the indianapolis speech you cannot look away just because he is so commanding uh in in delivering that speech so yeah we will we will get to that yeah. but we have not uh reached it just yet so we're, we'll talk about this uh this little bit which is, Bef- is before a you get to that well. do you think yeah. that with each week of indianapolis month you will watch the speech all the way through oh boy i dread to think how many times i will watch it like by the end <laughs> by the end of indianapolis <laughs> yeah. month it's gonna be even harder to kind of like stop it i've i've i really really tried to stop it at points where there is um a pause or a cut 
Uh, but there's a, a big old chunk when it is just like fixed on Quint. So it is literally like mm-hmm. down to a certain line that he says that that's where it cuts off. So it's going to be really hard for us over the next yeah. uh, the next few weeks trying to stop ourselves from watching it. But um, yeah, I don't rate my chances personally at not watching it every single yeah. week for the next month. Um, but that's fine. I've made peace with that. That's yep. okay. Um, okay, right. This <laughs> this scene, I feel like before we get into the sensible analysis of this scene, we need to address the proverbial elephant in the room, which is <laughs> why is Quint buckling his trousers up? Why is um, Quint buckling his trousers up? I and <laughs> <sighs> huh. it's funny as well because it he is doing it like as hooper is unbuttoning his shirt so it's like a a a weird kind of like post and pre-coital thing happening (laughs) i don't get it i don't like it um (laughs) i'm not a fan (laughs) yeah i feel like uh I feel like, because here's the thing, we cut back to it from Brody looking at his scar. So in my brain, Brody looks at his scar, looks back up at them and is like, I'll be on the deck, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you guys want a, you guys want a minute? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, hmm, I was trying to, uh, like, all jokes aside, I was trying to think, like, what was that choice? I mean, is it just how how that take happened or whatever like maybe there was a a scene that was cut when he like went to the bathroom or something i don't know but it's just when you see it you cannot unsee it so i apologize to our listeners if this is one of those things i have now uh ruined for you but also i think did we mention this in the the tail end of last week's episode where we already started joking about this scene where it's just like that is the, the 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 scar that they had to cut uh, for obvious reasons. Yeah, to get from, that PG rating. Yeah, it's like, look at this guy, thwop, just like <laughs> on the table in the orca. <laughs> Real stupid. <laughs> They're like, no wonder he hates sharks. <laughs> yeah, a, a sensible answer I had that doesn't involve any scenes like missing or, or cut or whatever is um, that... I don't know, sometimes when you're sitting down and your your belt is, you know, digging into your yeah. stomach or something, maybe just to be like, and he just, he'd eaten as well, I guess, because we see the empty plates. I've been known to to loosen a, a belt or a, a button if I'm having a really, really heavy meal. Um, <laughs> and then afterwards, obviously, you can't just walk around a restaurant with, you know, your trousers unbuttoned or something. So then you just, yeah, yeah pop it back up again. That's the, <laughs> the sensible uh, answer I had. But yeah, it's... It is a when you see it, you can't unsee it moment. <laughs> yeah. So I actually tried to get very investigative about this um, because <laughs> if you look, when he slides over to the t- side of the table with Hooper, that belt is done up and his shirt is tucked and he does not untuck mm. it. He does not undo it. Um, so the, in the in the part where he talks about the thresher, uh, it's it's still everything's still where in its in its right place. Um, <laughs> So I think there was a deleted scene. I do not think it was necessarily a scene that would have gotten it uh, in an R rating, Um, but it just feels like they shot some footage and then decided to edit around it. And, you know, um, a lot of these, especially these like film school, film school brat type people um, like Scorsese and Spielberg and stuff, they edit for performance, not continuity. So like, Mm -hmm. if you look at a Scorsese movie, there's continuity all over the place in the, in that um <laughs> especially in like cigarette ash lengths it's yeah it, they yeah. go crazy in the in his movies and he's addressed it before where he's like i don't care like his his thing is like <laughs> you know is does it make the movie worse no okay um mm. you know i'm martin scorsese what do you want to do like please tell me how to do my job better um, yeah. <laughs> So I do think it was it is that, but it the the suggestion of it, and it's the first time I've noticed in the mix that you can hear him zip it up, uh, mm, which oh I've no. <laughs> you, I've never noticed before, and it made me laugh very hard watching it before, uh, before we recorded today. It made me laugh extremely hard. 
Um, I was like, oh, wow, it's just right there in the mix, huh? Like all the all the shuffling around. Um, and I do, I will say, I do understand the, uh, the undoing a button thing. Not, after a large meal, yes, I, to bring it back to Scorsese, as I often do, I unbuttoned my pants in a full theater. Uh, I just undid the button. I wasn't weird about it. During the Irishman, because I had to pee so bad, but I oh, yeah. didn't want to leave. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? It's dark. <laughs> I undid the top button of my pants and wrote it out. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so maybe yeah. maybe that's what it is. Quint was just having too good of a time uh, swapping stories and was like, I gotta I gotta use the restroom, but I could probably relieve some of the pressure if I uh, if I undo this belt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that you could hear it in the sound mix. That's very, very funny. And I want to go back and listen to it at some point to to pick it out. But um, yeah, I mean, this we, I think, picked up on a, a small continuity thing when the, the reel is clicking, like early on when they're on the orca and the side that the fishing rod is on um, mm. changes, I think. But obviously you don't see him, you don't see him move it. Um, I... I'm not really bothered by that sort of thing. I think yeah. when you get into like really, really picking apart things like continuity errors, it, sometimes people just use it as an excuse to be like really, really petty, I think. And it's like, well, this film is is perfect. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> they, people like to go, oh, but actually there's this like continuity error if you go to this scene. And it's, yeah. I mean, there's one like right after this as well with the tooth, which I think we mentioned as well and and because i was uh naughty and watched the indianapolis speech the tooth is 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 right on in there um Mm. and you can see where the cut is that is like the next day and he is sober um because robert shaw is obliterated in this i think in this (laughs) bit more than the previous um it's just he's gradually just getting like redder and redder in the face and he's a bit sweaty and that laugh as well like his kind of like moment with with Dreyfus like like we said last week that is Dreyfus doing very very good drunk acting and that is not acting from Robert Shaw I mean he's still very good in the scene he's not sloppy he's not out of character like he is a professional and was a professional drinker as well to to put it that way and was clearly able to to handle his his alcohol but is very clearly under the under the influence in this scene and it i mean it really really works it works for this bit because this is when they are sort of um laughing and joking around and 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 having that that moment before it gets really really serious and the fact that he is like sober as a judge for the uh for the indianapolis speech absolutely works because the mood changes Mm -hmm. the second even the indianapolis is brought up in in this bit the mood is then incredibly somber and 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 sobering to to use that phrase as well so it absolutely works it's just one of those great things i think where obviously they they knew and he knew that they didn't want to go with the drunk uh take of that speech because it you know uh I can't imagine it was as good as what we get yeah. <laughs> in uh, in the final thing, but it it actually really really works. So I am glad that it plays out in the way that it does because I think it adds something into the to the scene where it's literally like a the bit where he says in this bit that it, you know that's from the Indianapolis. It is like a slap around the face and suddenly you are as sober as anything. Yeah. <laughs> like that is the feeling that you get from from watching the Indianapolis. Yeah, I mean, uh, you can definitely tell how drunk he is, especially when he's buttoning his pants, actually. And then, like, <laughs> just the way he looks over at Hooper and then leans over sure. on the table, it's so obvious. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, this has one of my favorite Quint lines in it where, um, he, after Hooper undoes his sweater and he says, You see that? And he says, You're wearing a sweater. Makes me I laugh forever. said it. Does he? Yeah. What? Um. Yeah. What? It's, yeah. In the in the script, Martin, you're wearing a sweater. Um, and you don't see Quint's lips move as well. Because I used to think it was him that said it as well. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh my god. 
what? MJ throws all his notes out the window. Uh- <laughs> Never mind then. Um, this is one of my favorite Brody lines, I guess. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry to derail you. <laughs> That's wild. I have always thought it was Quint who says that. Mm. It is... It's interesting that you think that because I thought it as well and I had to watch the scene like really, really closely today to work it out and then I checked in the script as well and I was like, I'm pretty sure it's Brody that says it. Um, but because it kind of tricks you, uh, you're looking at Quinn mm-hmm. and Hooper and Brody has not really said anything up to yep. this point and I think that is the the first, well, it's the first thing he says since, since Thresher. Um, mm-hmm. And that obviously was, you know, shot down because they're you know you you idiot how could you not remember the (laughs) the thresher um so i i love that it is brody that says that line because it's very funny it's so funny Uh, and it's delivered like really deadpan as well so it's just like and it almost like hooper almost doesn't register like what he said like he kind of like shakes his heart but he shakes his head sorry but like he knows what he is gonna say at that point like with the with the gag like he has planned it yeah um so he's not gonna like be put off by Brody being like sarcastic, but that is how Brody like puts himself into the conversation because then after that he is then joining in with the banter and laughing and asks Quint, you know, what's that one? And he mm. is then involved in the conversation. So I think that it's it's great that it is him who says that and it, it feels yeah, that's him now feeling comfortable enough to put himself into the conversation with a, a very funny line. <laughs> yeah. It's uh Either way, it makes me laugh every time. I think it's so funny uh, that, that he says that. And, like, it's funny because, you know, uh, this is not it, it. This is not actually a true test of masculinity, but Dreyfus is so much hairier than uh, Robert Shaw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, not to derail things once again, but the second thing I noted down in my notes was I am deeply attracted to Hooper's chest in this scene. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really sorry. That's it. That's it from me until the gratuitous uh, Roy Scheider shirtless scene. (laughs) That's very funny. (laughs) Um, And... uh... Yeah, I mean, I that's the thing, right? Is like we we associate like especially like around this around this period of of time like, you know, what's the the saying of like do that it'll put hair on your chest or whatever. And mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. we associate these, you know, the the amount of hair on one's uh, on a man's body with like manliness or masculinity and it's it's not necessarily, especially if you look at what we consider like specimens of masculinity nowadays, they're often pretty much hairless uh Mm. on their body you know if they're if they're a bodybuilder type or whatever anyway um so it's interesting to see kind of the juxtaposition of that with hooper being the painted as kind of the soft boy or whatever and then quint being the most traditionally masculine character but having less hair on his chest than hooper hmm yeah, because Quint's shirt is like, as well as his his pants, but uh, his shirt is like a, unbuttoned a little bit as mm-hmm. well. And you can, yeah, I mean, Hooper makes a big point of unbuttoning his shirt and, and you know, pointing. And then he doesn't like button it up again after that. He's yeah. quite sort of uh, uh, relaxed and loose now. He's uh, he's had some he's had some alcohol, but um, his line as well about Mary Ellen Moffat, she broke my heart, is is so great he's so proud of that (laughs) gag and we talk a lot about how we both uh in different ways and on different levels relate to our boy hooper and i feel like him laughing so wildly at his own joke is very hashtag relatable content for us both (laughs) so big fan of this bit yep um i will spare you reading another one of my tweets on on the show uh as i did last week but just last night at time of recording i had one about dune that made me laugh super hard and i tweeted it and i got three interactions on it and once again like (sighs) giving you people gold yeah wasted on you people 
Yep. So I yep. very much understand. Although he does mm-hmm. get a reaction out of the other two here. Brody laughs at this one. Uh, yeah. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. It, this is, I, I guess, well, I mean, Brody gets his little quip in, but it is sort of, um, does not get the same uh, reaction that, that Hooper's gag gets. But yeah, they're, they're, they're all laughing at that point And Quint laughs along as well. And it's a really nice, like, cathartic moment. I think this is the the first time that we've seen, like, all three characters, like, laughing together. Because even in the previous scene, when Quint and Hooper were, you know, yeah, I'll drink to your leg, and they were having a, a, a merry old time, mm-hmm. Brody wasn't involved in that conversation. So this is... I mean, we've been talking about this, like, group dynamics thing quite a bit. Like, this really feels like, like we've got to that point. And... Yeah. What is so important about this moment? I had a real like epiphany when I was watching this scene earlier, um, because I was like, this this bonding moment. So last week's scene and this week's scene that that we're talking about now, this bonding moment that these three have is so important. Like especially considering what happens next, because we've sort of done like reverse character development with Quinn. He starts off as this very mysterious person Mm. we know very little about him he is sort of like talked about and known in the in the town but he's not really you know he keeps his his cards close to his chest um and has been sort of like a bit a bit of a closed book really like particularly to the others as well is speaks in very short sentences just kind of like bossing them about telling them what to do um but as we spoke about in last week's scene they've they've broken bread and we talked about the significance of that and possible religious connotations as well um they've they've toasted they've uh you know drink to your legs and everything which i did google and it turns out it means sort of like you know good health uh and you know uh a symbol of kind of like unity of like agreement yes we all we all agree to this uh good job i checked that before i did a toast at my wedding um and they've laughed together now in in this moment so quint then feels after this i think more able to open up and be vulnerable and that's so important it's i just i don't i think because when you're watching the scene you're like oh indianapolis is coming next and that's how i've always like treated these couple of scenes like you're just Mm -hmm. waiting for that bit where that excellent monologue is going to start um but i really really appreciated like this moment in particular this week because even though you know it's because of of Hooper's comment and 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 Brody pointing out the the scar on his arm that he is I wouldn't say backed into a corner but he kind of really has has no choice but to but to explain himself um he tries to not explain as well like when Brody says what's that he said like he's like oh it's a tattoo I had it removed um and it's only when Hooper then kind of like makes the the follow-up gag about mother that he sort of feels like actually I maybe I should explain to these guys but had they not had those moments that come that came before where they, you know, broke bread, had a drink, had a laugh together, I don't know if he would have necessarily felt as comfortable opening up because it's very out of character from what we've seen from him before. Yeah, um, it's it's true. And you can even see it in the body language of, of mm. Quint and Hooper in particular. So they start off, you know, in the scene we talked about last week, they start off facing each other, which is very closed off to Brody. And then they um move closer to each other so they end up physically touching at that moment and they move further apart and hooper's body language is now opened up to brody but quince is still pretty closed off and then hooper makes the dumb joke about mary ellen moffat and they all laugh but you see in that moment it's really the first time quint acknowledges brody in the scene because he turns his head with that shit-eating grin on his face and it's a really it's a really great look um but it's the first time you see Quint really like open up and like talk to Brody and not, or not even talk to Brody, but acknowledge Brody in the scene at all. Um, yeah. So it's the first time he feels like truly comfortable with everyone in the Orca at that point. Mm-hmm. What's that? Remind me of the the sort of like group dynamics thing and like where where we're at now because we're we're basically at that. I think the, yeah. the peak so stage, it's... right? Yeah, so there's forming, which is just, like, getting the group together. Storming, which is, like, testing boundaries to see, like, what you can get away with. Norming, which is um, what we're at now, which is just, like, coming together as a team. And then performing, which is doing the task at hand, which then we very much, at the end of Indianapolis month, get into the performing part. Because it's 
Hmm. It is definitely uh, all shark all the time after <laughs> the Indianapolis speech. You know, there's there's a lot of shark stuff that happens immediately mm. following that until basically until the end of the movie. Like it is very, there's no more waiting around on this thing after the the shark hits the boat at the end of the Indianapolis speech. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think even even in this point though, like we're starting to see that that is the place that that they're going to get to because it does uh, up to this point i think the group dynamic has felt a bit fractious uh, mm-hmm. and we've sort of seen that in various disagreements there's been and you know uh, brody hitting his head because of a, a mistake and sort of feeling a bit um out of out of the loop with what the others are doing and and you know the uh, being sort of forced to go uh, out of his comfort zone for the sake of Hooper's photograph and so there's been like tensions and we've seen that tension building like pretty much from the moment they they got on the orca and maybe even before that because we we really get that sense of tension between Hooper and Quint like from the second they meet basically <laughs> and it's just really been building um from then but yeah we're in terms of of see the shark is not around at this at this particular point it's like a rare moment of of downtime that they have but they really do feel like a group now like that they they are they've been through the the sort of trials and and tests and had a a near miss with the with the shark which didn't quite work out and i think we mentioned in last week's episode as well actually that it's interesting that it is like the i mean you can call it a failure really that sort of like brings them brings them together they they had the shark like right there but they 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 didn't get him or they didn't get him in time and we we spoke about it in in last week's episode so we don't need to go into all of that again but um it's it's that that sort of you know they're they're drowning their sorrows but then as 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 they do that they are coming closer together and not putting the sort of like mission with the shark aside like this i think is when we see the group performing in a way that you would imagine like a group would like not quite friends but at least like co-workers acquaintances where they are able to sit and be in the same space together share a meal together laugh together about something um and it out of that environment like out of that sense of of bonding that we get between them is is when quint then feels able to let some of his his walls down and I think we can say it as well like up to this point you could certainly argue that some of um Quint's traits and the things that he thinks about women and the things that he says or implies about Hooper as well um are pretty sort of like toxic <laughs> traits some of them they would sort of say like toxic masculinity is a phrase that that would potentially use um but those sort of walls are coming like crushing down really <laughs> and it's it's in the very sort of next moment that we see him actually open up and be the most vulnerable that he has been in this whole time. And also the most vocal that he has been in this whole time as well. But it's, it's soft and it's sharing like his story and what happened to him and why he is the way he is. And it's just so important. But these scenes in the lead up to that are just as important. I feel. Yes. Very well said. That was, uh, That was a lot. <laughs> um, Sorry, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, just the, the 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 way that we put this all on display, and I don't know how much you know research they did on uh, group dynamics before that, or if this research that you know I took in a class in twenty you know <laughs> ten, I think, um, was even around then i don't know how old that that sort of theory is but i mean it's so perfectly on display in this uh well in the entirety of the the orca but really here you really start to see it coming together and like knowing knowing those things which is weird like i don't know why i had that just kind of at the ready i mean it's because i took the class but (laughs) a very certain set of circumstances had to happen for me to even bring it up but I'm glad I have that knowledge because I can look at this movie now and be like, oh, this is so much about that. This might be the best depiction of group dynamics in a film I've ever seen. 
you know, I, 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 to the point where like, if I was a teacher, I would obviously be looking for any excuse to show Jaws in class, but I would absolutely be using clips from this movie. Uh, it's especially in the back half, uh, to illustrate my points because there's so much of every element of it on display all over the last hour of Jaws. It's, it's kind of mind boggling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's weird how I hadn't even really thought about it as as a concept or just not really thought about it in that level of detail before. And when you brought that up, I was like, huh, like <laughs> this is really like what this whole thing is about, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just... Uh, have you... Uh... <laughs> Have you ever seen that vine of the guy at the college football stadium? He's like, just guys being dudes. <laughs> I haven't, but that's uh... what that's what this is. That's the back half of that's mm-hmm. that's what this scene is. Just guys being dudes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's actually really nice to just see these uh, characters uh, vibing, <laughs> for want of a better word, just kind of hanging out because. We don't really have that. The film doesn't really give us many moments of respite, like particularly in this latter half of the film. It's kind of like full on, like from the start, really. Like there's there's small, quieter moments. But this is, I think, the, the biggest like pause or break in, mm-hmm. in action or tension or shark stuff uh, that we have. Um, and I just, I just really appreciate it and actually this is i've not seen the show yet but based on the pictures i've seen of the set and what i do know about it um it's this scene with them chatting in the orca that is sort of the inspiration for uh, the shark is broken which oh, mm-hmm. um is the the play that ian shaw uh, robert shaw's son wrote uh, and stars in um looks uncannily like his uh, his father and yep. i will be really really keen to see that soon i had tickets for it last year but you know pandemic um so want to see that soon but yeah all, all the sort of like behind the scenes stuff you see of that show is like a set of kind of like a half orca so it's open and you can see them sat there and there it's you know the the actors like between takes sort of thing mm. like just vibing and interacting and stuff as well so i'm super super keen to see that because um I just really, really like this scene, like last last week's scene that we talked about and this week's and of course with what comes next in, in Indianapolis month as well. I just think that this particularly was as we've spoken about with, you know, uh, Robert Shaw clearly being under the influence in this scene. I just think that actual sort of real um, what was going on between takes was probably quite interesting. Um, yeah not sure to what extent the the play explores that but i think there'll be um a certain amount of like tension because i think it's it's like pretty well reported or known that that uh dreyfus and shaw clashed somewhat mm-hmm. um a, a great affection for each other and an appreciation i think but they were just from completely different places uh so particularly in this scene i i can just imagine some of those like frustrations like really really coming out as you know especially uh, how serious it gets after this point as well and if you've got someone who is not really able to perform their their absolute best for for what the moment dictates i can imagine that would be frustrating yeah, I mean, there's, there's, I don't know how popular the clip is. It ended up in my YouTube recommends the other day. It's, uh, Dreyfus was on some UK talk show that's mm. not called Graham Norton, um, which is the only UK <laughs> talk show I know. And, uh, like Robert Shaw's granddaughter had come to visit him. Yes. Um, yeah, I and, uh, he gets like really emotional during mm-hmm, them mm-hmm. bringing it up. And so, you know, I think especially with some perspective and, uh, you know, the, I feel like the older you get and like the more, the more you realize you have less, less time ahead of you than you have behind you, you start to, a lot of the, the problems fade away and you just look back on fondness, you know, provided there wasn't like something truly toxic happening, you know? <laughs> um, and so to see Dreyfus in that context, cause like, yeah, it's, it's known that they kind of clash, but to see him in that, just talking about like the fondness he looks back on of those memories of, of, you know, that woman's grandfather and um, mm. things like that. And just like telling, like he didn't get into specifics on it, uh, 
but just saying about the, the time he spent with the granddaughter just kind of telling her about her grandfather and mm. um you know things like that and that, that he like wept while while they were talking about it like you can tell that mm-hmm. he he holds no bitterness towards uh shaw for anything that happened and you know uh tensions just kind of they can run high sometimes and when you're when you're acting you end up in weird emotional places that you maybe you know shouldn't be in necessarily all the time and mm-hmm. and uh things like that like it, it can do a number on your uh your mental health for sure so um yeah i i think you you just kind of see you know these these men who look back on on this and obviously dreyfus is still the only one alive but he's he obviously seems very cool about you know that he got to participate in something as iconic as as this and has nothing but but good memories of being a part of it Mm. yeah i think like you sort of can tell when an actor has like a certain willingness to talk about their projects or really anyone Mm -hmm. who's involved in a film like how they feel about it because you know you can have your your harrison ford who just really (laughs) doesn't love talking about star wars like acknowledges that he is like a very important part of it but is also like I've done other stuff like let's talk about that yeah. but um that what you're saying there about that clip and I I've seen the clip as well and I think when I because I went to an event in London a couple of years ago um like an evening with Richard Dreyfus where he spoke um just about his career and making Jaws and lots of other stuff as well um I think that was an audience question that that someone that someone asked him about Robert Shaw and um yeah he he got like choked up he got emotional then as well because you know he said all these stories and and all these things that we hated each other and it's like we we didn't hate each other like there's tensions because don't know if you've like read the jaws log or seen any of the behind the scenes stuff pretty stressful experience yeah. making yeah. <laughs> making this film so there's all of that and there's you know just natural tensions that emerge with sort of being in a very like high stress high stakes environment with someone who is very very different to yourself but also that brings out really really great performances and i think something he spoke about at that event was that their differences actually really pushed pushed him like pushed him to making different character choices like pushed him as an actor like challenged him because on the days that perhaps sure like was more challenging to be around it sort of sometimes brought out the very like best in in his performance and that's not to say that like don't go down the jared leto sending dead rats to your cast um route because that's just like just a pretty messed up thing to do anyway but i think that how richard dreyfus talks about it is a lot of sort of like banter and mucking about on on set and stuff and uh challenging him to do things like challenging him to like just do some press-ups or something for like Mm. no reason whatsoever Mm -hmm. and just sort of like pushing each other's buttons and that i think you know that that will sometimes lead to to tensions because if you're just really not in the mood to kind of like piss about one day and someone is like way and just like you know (laughs) poking and prodding at you and stuff you're not (laughs) you know you're you're gonna be a bit snappy back at them you might sort of like react in a in a way but also on some days that kind of like really really works there are moments in jaws when like these characters do have to have that tension and you really feel it it feels very it feels very natural but i think yeah a lot of it as well like you're saying this sort of looking back on things and and realizing with a little bit of hindsight as well with how well the film turned out and how well appreciated it is that actually all of those things are kind of you know pun intended like water under the bridge really because they they happened they bought out you know the best and worst in each other but the the end product was something that they were all like really really proud of so i i don't i think sometimes those things where it's just like you hear about certain actors who are like difficult to to work with and people love reporting on those things because we kind of just like we love a villain we love a bit of a douchebag we want to like hear about all the goss that goes on behind the scenes that you know we don't get to see 
Um, but also I feel like sometimes that stuff is just overblown and you don't really see the other side of it. Like not to say that stuff doesn't happen, not to like minimize it in any way, because obviously some really bad things have happened and behind the scenes yeah. of, of making films. But yeah, the thing I'm sort of talking about is, is this kind of thing where it's just like, Oh, this person is difficult. This person is, does these things on set is, you know, a bit antagonistic or like really in their head about these things. And then those clashes, happen i think it's we're not always seeing the fullest picture i guess yeah um did you see the thing about ellen pompeo recently on no gray's anatomy so. so she plays meredith gray on gray's anatomy mm. and she has a podcast about gray's anatomy um because that's the thing people do now is if they're on a popular show they have a podcast about their own tv show <laughs> um there's like several people from the office who have done that which is it's weird to me um but <laughs> uh also zach braff and uh what's his name the guy who plays turk they they have a podcast about scrubs and that's very weird to me <laughs> um anyway so she has a podcast about Grey's anatomy it's even weirder that she has a podcast about Grey's anatomy because i think she's still on Grey's anatomy <laughs> as she is the titular gray um and I don't know how much of Grey's Anatomy you've seen. I haven't seen a lot of it. I've seen maybe a half episode. and But in that half episode, I got very stressed out. Because <laughs> the thing about Grey's Anatomy is it's like, it's like Michael Bay TV. By which I mean, everything's a climax. Like, everything's at 11 the entire time you're mm. watching Grey's Anatomy. Um, and she told this story on her podcast recently where Denzel came in and directed an episode and in the episode the, the story of the episode is that this patient that she had had an epileptic seizure and injured her like semi-severely um in their they're like thrashing about while they were seizing and for whatever reason her character is like not happy about it like she takes it like personally which is stupid but whatever i didn't write the show and so she goes to the patient and the patient tries apologizing to her and she improvised the line because the patient wasn't making eye contact with her. So she improvised the line and said, basically, look at me when you're apologizing to me. And Denzel cut and was like, hey, I told it like I'm directing this episode. Let me direct it. I gave him the direction to not make eye contact. Like we can do it once as written or whatever, and then we can, you know, play with it. But I want to do one take that's what i said basically <laughs> and she freaked out on him like she fully admitted that she was like well you're just here for one episode i've been here for you know however many seasons you don't even know where the bathroom is this is my show <laughs> and i was like you're talking to like, denzel washington like that <laughs> what are you talking about <laughs> have you seen a denzel movie <laughs> um and that uh you know he got all Denzel about it and was like, I don't care. Like I'm the director. Like you've hired me to come here and direct the episode. Let me do my job and you do your job. Mm. And they just kind of clashed for whatever reason. And they didn't really make eye contact the rest of the day, but they got the episode done. Like they were professional about it. And, you know, she was saying that she doesn't know about Denzel, but there's no hard feelings on her part just because sometimes shit goes sideways uh, on set like that. And, mm they still have a job to do whether they like it or not. And so they were able to put that away at least for the, you know, the episode. And obviously like one episode of Grey's Anatomy is not the same thing as Jaws. It's not going to have that sort of cultural uh, impact, <laughs> but it does. It, I think it's a very good recent il illustration of like how, especially not only do you have like an actor talking to a director and tensions are high there, but it's an actor talking to a director who's also an actor. So they also have that intense mm. emotionality mm -hmm. um, <laughs> that, that comes along with being an actor. So I could see how, how, uh, you know, tempers could flare um, in that situation. But, you know, I think the initial, the initial reaction is like, why would anyone talk to Denzel Washington like that? <laughs> um you know like why like if denzel told me what to do i would do it no questions asked <laughs> yeah that's I, that is really interesting i did not know that i've never seen the show so i don't i don't know oh it's not good about it but 
<laughs> it's I know it's very very popular. Like the people who love it like really really yeah love it. But yeah, it's not it's not for me. I know what you mean. It's too um too high stakes all of the time. Yeah, and I find that a bit <laughs> exhausting sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. Um. I so I wanted to mention one thing in this scene that I don't think I have really picked up on before and it meant I had to do a bit of like scrolling back as well because it reminded me of a moment previous um but there's a sort of like a a moment a moment or so pause um so after Quint Quint after Hooper makes the the joke about uh mother and is having a a good old laugh and then Mm. Quint says Mr Hooper that's the Indianapolis there's like a, a few beats and like Hooper takes some like really, really like deep breaths. Like you mm-hmm. you hear them before he is kind of able to say you were on the Indianapolis. And I was like, I have heard Hooper breathe like that before. Where did I hear it? Um, and it's right before he dives in uh, when for they autopsy. go out to look for Ben yeah. Gardner's boat. And uh, yeah, in the autopsy as well. Um, so I was like, Ooh, this is interesting. And I, I particularly sort of like picking up on um when he's about to to get in the water um when they go out looking for Ben Gardner's boat, um, or they, they stumble across Ben Gardner's boat. Um, is that he is sort of like the way I saw it, maybe reading too much into it, whatever, that's what we do. Um, is he is kind of like mentally and physically, I guess, preparing himself to to like go into the water is what he is doing when uh, he is about to, to dive in earlier in the film. Um, and that's kind of like what he's doing here. Like he's mm. like mentally about to get like right on into the to the water with Quint as he sort of like explains like what happens to him and and hooper clearly knows about the indianapolis just based on the way that he reacts and he doesn't sort of say what's that uh which is what uh brody says or i think brody says like what happened so he is clearly Mm -hmm. like not familiar um whereas hooper says you were on the indianapolis so he knows about it and that would track and make sense as well because you know a, a big thing where there were lots of sharks involved like it is the sort of thing that that hooper would know about given his line of work but i just thought that was really interesting and and also uh a slight moment of being proud of myself of being like i've heard him breathe like that before where was it and like (laughs) being able to scroll back into the film and find it and i was like oh yeah there there it is a couple of times so uh yeah yeah that's interesting i did not pick up on that at all um and i even i looked it up while you were speaking about is that type of breathing normal before scuba diving and it's not actually they say to take deep slow breaths and he almost hyperventilates his way Mm. (laughs) into into that diving gear yeah yeah i didn't i didn't look up that as well but i i knew that like i've never been diving but that you know obviously the I don't know if it's different if you have like the breathing apparatus because I I went ahead as well to when he's getting into the cage and he doesn't do it then but that's mm. when he has the like the breathing apparatus so maybe that's different I don't know because I guess you're, you're when you've got that equipment you can breathe under the water but you can't obviously breathe too much because you have like a limited supply um, when he like goes into uh, when they find ben gardner's boat he doesn't he has like a i guess like a, a mask I don't oh. know, and a snorkel maybe oh okay but i don't that know if there's any it. difference but yeah we need a diving expert mm-hmm. so i have been <laughs> i have been snorkeling and okay um i like the thing about snorkeling is you're not really going down that deep into the water so mm. um yeah, you don't, they don't, also where I, where I went snorkeling was not in the wild. It was in a, a habitat mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. um, they gave us no breathing instructions whatsoever outside of, you know, don't breathe in through your nose. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, like a, a snorkel requires no training whatsoever. Um, they literally are just like, here's a mask, here's a snorkel. That part goes in your mouth. Breathe through that. Um, <laughs> 
so uh yeah it's it's far less intensive than uh scuba diving i didn't realize he didn't have a breathing apparatus when he uh when he went to check out ben gardner's boat although that makes sense Mm. since he's not going as deep yeah like he goes under but he doesn't yeah he doesn't sort of like take all the so maybe i don't know (laughs) i don't know about breathing i don't know about diving but maybe for like for that sort of thing like he wasn't just like at the surface with a snorkel he was having to like go under like maybe that is the type of breathing you do for that that particular thing that he was doing i don't know but um i just yeah i had obviously really (laughs) never picked up on the fact that it sort of like transfers into into this scene as well but i think it's such a it's such a nice touch just i don't know i just i i I really really liked it in this scene as he is sort of like stealing himself to like hear hear quint's story and obviously we know what that what that story is he has some idea as well he is really kind of like psyching himself up to hear it because he knows that it's gonna be like a lot (laughs) yeah uh no that's a that's a good call i i've never noticed that before and just the the shift in tone is really great um, because it obviously it's a very somber thing that happened. Um, but I also like that. Uh, let me find it. <laughs> um, so before before Brody asks about the tattoo, he puts the rope away. So I think it's a you, we were talking last week about it um him having his anxiety and still needing something to fidget with but he gets rid of it so he's he's like discarding that lifeline he has to like um anxiety like he's comfortable with them and so he asks about the you know the scar like he notices also it's good police work (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, because he notices that like he doesn't skip you know he goes straight from like the cranium stuff of the tooth and the the lump on the head to the one on the leg Mm. and so Brody's like hey wait a minute you got one right there too um so (laughs) he he obviously feels comfortable saying stuff like that to them and feels comfortable enough to not need the rope anymore yeah it's a a a very small little thing as well and I Mm -hmm. I I don't want to read all the things into it but um the when he discards it he has like tied the knot as well and it's a pretty good knot yeah um i'm like did he actually succeed he did the little brown eel so proud (laughs) oh bless him (laughs) took a while but uh but but he got there yeah um i went down that route rather than being like oh yeah he's like that was the thing he was like fiddling with when he felt like uncomfortable (laughs) uncomfortable and now he's like put that aside and is now happy sort of um entering into this (laughs) into this conversation but he does a like a really like goofy like little laugh and grin as well Mm -hmm. and it just makes me happy um yep like you can hear obviously hooper's laugh in this scene i don't think we've mentioned that he laughs at his own joke but we have not mentioned how maniacal Hooper's yeah, it's... laugh is it's like a lot I, I I love it because it's such a it's such like a nerdy laugh as well it's so yeah. appropriate for the character like he almost cannot believe that he said something so funny so he sounds like short of breath as well like when he's when he's laughing he is like almost like literally wheezing um and you hear you hear quint sort of like laugh and chuckle as well but brody just has this like really goofy like silent laugh that i that i appreciated a lot yeah uh hooper's laugh in this scene is i mean it is just short of chris cooper and the muppets just saying maniacal laugh maniacal laugh (laughs) it's very that yeah uh yeah they all three i will say all three of them have pretty great laughs uh which is i feel like (laughs) i'm not well i know i'm not an actor but i feel like if i were an actor and i had to laugh in a scene fake laughing at something would be the hardest thing for me like i just i don't know how i could i could force a laugh and make it sound genuine yeah i sound like a dick when i pretend to laugh yeah yeah, just like just like (laughs) it's just not it just doesn't sound genuine at all yeah uh pete (laughs) pete holmes used to end his podcast by uh doing a thing called fake laugh real laugh and 
he would make eye contact with his guests and they would fake laugh <laughs> until it turned into real laughter. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Which is great, but uh, also sounds like a sociopath running a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> also true. Uh... Um, but like you, I mean, you could always tell the fake laugh part. I mean, obviously they telegraphed it, but just, you know, I feel like I would have an easier time making myself cry on camera than selling a laugh as genuine. Mm. Yeah, it's, there must be a technique to it, I guess. It's, yeah. it maybe not even as much as we're kind of like thinking about or overthinking about it. Like maybe you do just... I don't know. You have to find something that that is is funny or that you know to be funny that you can kind of laugh at in in that moment. But when you have to, I don't know. There's just something about like having to force it that is just unless you're really really good at it and you've practiced, it's uh, it's hard to make it sound genuine. But there's this feels very genuine in this in this scene. And like part of me wonders as well, like how much is it a sort of you know you see quite often films like put you know the outtakes at the end mm -hmm. or the blooper reel where they're like having a, a good old time and laughing at each other to get like a really genuine laugh like how <laughs> is it just easier to just kind of insert one of those like natural laughing joking about moments than it is to try and like get a an actual you know fake laugh to sound genuine i don't i don't know but yeah, I don't know, because this feels so in character for Hooper, especially that yeah. I, I, it, I don't think it's that, you know, it's so like you said, it's so like dorky and weird and uh, is just absolutely what he would do. I feel, I feel like, yeah, he's like slapping the table and everything. He like cannot control himself. Yeah. It's so funny to watch. <laughs> yeah. Yep. This is. Yeah. It, I mean, you could. You could deep fake this with me laughing at my malignant tweet, and uh, it would be the same. It definitely <laughs> would have been the same. It was about that hard. Like I really cracked myself up with that one. <laughs> oh, it's still funny. I I forget about it sometimes, and then you say it again, or it just pops into my brain, and I'm like, <laughs> it's still, it's still so good. <laughs> it's so dumb. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite embarrassing how much we laugh at ourselves, to be honest. But also, yeah. I don't feel bad about it. <laughs> yeah. You guys should have heard us before we started recording this episode. Oh my gosh. <laughs> A direct quote from Sarah is, we're hilarious. <laughs> Where is the lie, though? I mean, I don't... Sure. <laughs> yeah. I, I say this I say this all the time to to Martin. I'm like, I'm hilarious and I find myself very funny. Um and then actually the tables turned yesterday when I <laughs> I had been out most of the evening because I had to go and pick up my dress and he was left in the house alone. Um and I was like, Oh, he'll probably catch up on all the shows that I don't like watching, uh, also all the spooky stuff whilst I'm out the house and uh, I came back and he was just like laughing at like to himself on his laptop and I was like had a productive evening have we like what have we been getting up to and he had finished his wedding speech but then he had spent most of the evening laughing at his own wedding speech and I was like see <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> I was like you know how I find myself hilarious well now you know <laughs> it's like so very excited for this uh this speech personally but uh yeah <laughs> oh that's great uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, someone I follow on Twitter, uh, I won't use their name, but the, there was a prompt going around yesterday at time of recording that said, if you could do high school all over again, would you? And they said, I was a nerd in high school to ensure I would be funny on Twitter. So no, no, I would not. <laughs> and uh, felt that in my bones. Yeah, n never related to something more. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I was uh, one at school where the teachers would be like, Sarah's really quiet. Like she doesn't, you know, she doesn't really say a lot. She kind of like keeps keeps herself to herself. And like me now is like, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was that way <laughs> was until about high school. <laughs> I was that way yeah. until about high school. Um, <laughs> so I totally get it. My parents also got those reports. And then the other thing too, are 
Is your family funny? Yes. My dad has got like a very, very like dry sense of humor. I yeah. find my dad very funny. He will love this. I- I'll make him listen to this episode because he will be like, yes, <laughs> recognition. <laughs> yeah, both my parents are very funny. And uh, mm. I think that like my dad was an expert joke teller, um, mm-hmm. you know, and he was actually my dad was kind of he was a lot like Quinn. He liked a drink and he liked <laughs> he liked a dirty joke and he liked a dirty mm. limerick and uh you know, uh, he also liked some stuff that was maybe a little more unsavory. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, some of the less endearing parts of Quint, too, that he also embodied. But, um, yeah, my dad was, like, a masterful, like, old... Because t- he was a bartender forever. So uh, he just, like, yeah. you know, he was definitely the guy from Piano Man who was quick with a joker to light up your smoke. Like, he he was absolutely <laughs> that guy. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And my mom just, like... She grew up with a bunch of siblings, like 10 siblings. Mm. Whoa. And so she just got like real sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> so I got kind of a little, little, little column A, little column B on that. So yeah. Uh, yeah. And it made me hysterical. <laughs> Again, where is the lie? Uh... <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I mean, I I think we <laughs> we could potentially just fill another half hour laughing at ourselves and how ridiculous yes. we are. But um, did you have anything else in, in this scene? I think I've I've covered most of the stuff in, in my notes. It's quite a, a short scene this week. But yeah, yeah. I mean, we will uh, certainly be um, back soonish uh, to well for you guys next week. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But this, we've been banking episodes, so this is this is our last record while uh, while Sarah gets married. Her last uh, unmarried podcast. So the next time we record, uh, she will she will have tied the knot with Martin. Oh, that is much like Brody. I mean... <laughs> Way that is terrifying and exciting all at the same time. Um, that feels so far away in my head. I'm just like, but it is less than two weeks uh, at yep, time of recording. Yep, it is 13 days at time of recording. Mm, and on release day, it will be yesterday. Yep. That I would have, yeah. Yeah. Congratulations to me. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Some real, it, it feels, you know what? It feels right. That there's some time travel on the podcast. Yes, absolutely. It's what Jaws would have wanted. It's what Jaws would have wanted. <laughs> the shark. The uh, shark Jaws. Just to be clear. Yeah. Yes, yes. Obviously, in case there was any, any confusion. It's a Jaws. Yep. Please, just Jaws. My father was Mr. Jaws. Um... <laughs> so dumb. So fucking stupid. Uh. <laughs> oh dear <laughs> that's I'm his really... last name right it's bruce jaws yeah absolutely okay. <laughs> bruce jaws jr there was a, a bruce jaws senior as well uh. okay we are we are headed towards like we are sprinting towards baby shark right now so i'm gonna hit the eject <laughs> button before we get there mm-hmm. yeah smart <laughs> <laughs> did you have anything you wanted to plug <laughs> I I don't think I've I've got anything. It's uh it's all wedding all the yeah. time from <laughs> from here on out. But uh yeah, hopefully we'll uh, have a little bit more free time soon to be able to to work on some other things. But yeah, nothing nothing from me. Cool. Um, so I've talked about this in the last couple ish episodes. I was on the <laughs> Beard Owl podcast. It's finally been recorded. This has been the thing about banking episodes is we banked <laughs> a lot of them before I'd even recorded it, so I didn't know when it was going to be out. It will be out sometime in early November. So if you've gone looking for that episode based on previous, uh, me mentioning it on previous episodes, it's not there, but it won't be out until sometime in early November. And I still don't really know when. So I will plug it when it's out. But yeah, uh, like, yeah, I just wanted, if people were like, I don't see it here. Um, <laughs> that's, there's a reason for that. It was by design. Um, it was a really good time. I had a really great time on it. And it was very fun. Let's talk about songs that were misattributed to Weird Al Yankovic. And then at the end of the episode, um, I kind of I kind of shredded Lauren's mind into pieces. Uh, and I I will Sarah, I'll tell you off mic about what it was, but um <laughs> listen to the episode because it involves me 
very brazenly inviting myself back on to talk about the thing I mentioned at the end. Um, but I'm extremely excited about the the topic that it is. So mm. please go listen to that because it it is it is the most niche thing I have ever talked about on a podcast. <laughs> and that episode, when it comes out, the 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 second episode I'm going to be on is going to be the most niche thing I will have ever talked about, maybe anywhere. And uh, yeah, it's ridiculous. So be on the lookout for that. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Jaws for a minute. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at Jaws for a minute. Um, the thing is, so Instagram's a real thing. Um, oh. <laughs> so it's not an actual app, but like when celebrities have a fake Instagram, they call it a Finstagram. So this is not that. Mm, um, I feel personally attacked. <laughs> this is not that. Like there were like people recently found Ben Affleck's Finstagram, um, which is not him just tweeting, shark, uh, posting pictures of fish, uh, which it should be, but, uh, it's just like a private account. That's like not really their name or whatever. Like it's like. You know, it's just a way for them to use social media without having to worry about a bunch of people from the public finding out until they do. Mm. Um, <laughs> but they call that Finstagram, uh, which I learned semi-recently. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so this is not that. Unless you consider us celebrities, in which case it is that. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we're posting clips from the show over there, uh, along with a bunch of other stuff. Um, on Twitter, you can find a link in our bio to buy some merch if you would like some merch. Uh, at time of recording, T Public's having a sale, but they're not anymore. So, um, <laughs> but we're entering November, and so there should be like holiday sales coming up if you want to buy a Christmas present for yourself or a holiday present for yourself or someone you love who doesn't know anything about us. Um, <laughs> Uh, you can buy all kinds of products on on uh, the Redbubble store as well. They don't just have T-shirts; they have totes and masks and uh, coasters, uh, which uh, you know highly recommend getting coasters with the "It's Jaws O'Clock Somewhere" logo on it because that's very great. Um, <laughs> so that's in a, a, a link tree in our bio for Redbubble and T Public. Um, if you'd like to support the show without buying merch, but to potentially win some merch. You can donate to our coffee page, which is also found in that link tree. Um, it's a three dollar minimum donation, and you get entered to win uh, a piece of of uh, LJ Fan merch, which it could is more than likely like a twenty dollar t shirt. So uh, I think it's a, it's a good trade off for that. And if you've already donated to our coffee page, you are automatically entered unless you have won previously. So um, that's just running in perpetuity until we get our next donor goal, and we'll pick another winner. So. Um, yeah, you can also support the show for free just by liking and commenting and subscribing, not commenting, commenting on Twitter, but, uh, just like, uh, <laughs> leaving a review on your podcatcher of choice and then sharing the episodes with your friends. Uh, that helps us a lot. You know, we're only two people and we're quite literally only two people, um, behind this. There's no, you know, we're not part of a network. We're not, we're, we're about as indie as it gets. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it, it really helps if you guys are, are sharing, and we very much appreciate it if you are. Um, and speaking of our merch, uh, you can find uh, Alex, our the guy who made our, our logos, uh, at HexGhosts on Twitter. He does amazing graphic design work and has done some graphic design for some other shows that, you know, uh, are friends of, friends of ours. Um, if you like our theme song, which you should because it's awesome, uh, you should go to at Kristen Falls Music on Instagram, not Finstagram, on normal Instagram. <laughs> and in her her uh, bio, there is a link to purchase the song in its entirety because it's like a two or three minute song um, that's also available in our link tree if you don't have Instagram. And then you can email us at minute at gmail.com if you have anything you want to uh, send our way or, or reach out for any reason whatsoever. Um, our DMs are also open on uh, Twitter. And then if you'd like to follow our personal accounts, we are at Sarah Buttery, S-A-R-A-H-B-U-D-D-E-R-Y on Twitter and at MJSmith891 on Twitter as well. Um, until next time, it's Jaws O'Clock Somewhere.